Welcome back for Mum Talk Series 6, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum, from pregnancy to life now with a baby, sharing all the highs and all the lows. As we go through this series, I will be joined by knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, and also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in Mum Talk to be honest, real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments. Wherever you may be, thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk, Series 6, Episode 4. This week I am joined by a brilliant guest, Emma Warrillow. She is a kids culture expert founder of the Pineapple Lounge and runs an Instagram account and a blog called The Playful Den. Absolute must follow on Instagram, shares so much about creativity and play. So today we are talking all about child's play. Let's get straight into it. Okay, so today on the podcast, I am joined by the fantastic Emma Warrillow. Is that how you pronounce your surname? Yes, it's a weird one. That, that was a good effort, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you're a kid culture expert. So can you explain to us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, sure. So I am the founder of an agency called The Pineapple Lounge. My background's in children's research. So for about the last 12 years, I have been a consultant um, and insight strategist to uh, many, many global brands, helping them to understand how to make cool products for kids, what they're into, tracking trends, future spotting, all that sort of thing. So myself and my team, we spend every single day immersed in what kids are playing, what they're watching, what they're doing, how they're being parented, um, and that's and that's that's kind of my my career. So uh, yeah, good long stint of studying um, generations of children. Wow, that sounds really fun. Is it fun? It's fun. I mean, I run the business, so that brings with it, uh, you know, increased pressures. Mm. Um, but the projects that we work on are. Um, so interesting um, so future thinking uh, very exploratory the type of research that we do is very in depth so we're often going into homes really talking to people at length um, really trying to get under their psychology of why they do things why they behave in certain ways so yeah it's always um, varied and always um, very enlightening that sounds fascinating absolutely fascinating So I found you on Instagram, the wonderful world of Instagram, and Mm. you are called The Playful Den. So if if you're listening, then get on your Instagram now and go and search The Playful Den. Absolutely brilliant and possibly the most colourful account I've ever seen. (laughs) And I adore, adore your little girl. She's so cute on there. And (laughs) and all of the blogs, and I was just chatting to Emma just now, saying that I've read all of her blogs. So click through to Emma's blogs. They are so, so helpful. We'll talk about that a little bit further on in the podcast podcast um but you have two children and one on the way I do yes I do yeah I must be mad but um <laughs> yes so my eldest is nine phoenix he's a boy and my youngest indiana indy she is uh six Aww. yeah and the next one coming in march 2020 great birth year date it's almost worth yeah. having a baby just to get the 2020 birth date <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Hendrik and I and my husband, we were chatting about 
um, how what year it would be when Amandine, when Amandine, my daughter, would be around eighty. Um, and it was crazy thinking about what the world would be like yeah. and, you know, mm. what things would look like. It's just unimaginable, really. I can't even imagine what what it will be when she's 80. Yeah, completely. And actually, it's an interesting point because I think, you know, I obviously study uh, different generations of parents. And I think one of the underlying um kind of um, behaviours or things that is changing parental attitudes and the way that they are bringing up their children is actually this uncertainty around mm. the future. So there used to be kind of um, really clear paths to success um, and how you kind of get there um, and kind of some knowns for the future in terms of what would be waiting for children. And and that is very much up in the air with, with raising children today. We don't know what's planet's going to be in mm. uh, politics all over the world is incredibly volatile um so it, it does breed this sort of sense of uncertainty and whether you're kind of in tune with that consciously or whether it sits more subconsciously it is having an effect on how children are i guess kind of uh, designing uh, modern childhood and how they're approaching it mm, absolutely i mean you, i can see it with my own mum actually i mean i'm 32 and I know that when I took a slight career change, my mum would very much say, this isn't what it's meant to look like. You know, you're meant mm-hmm. to be doing a nine to five job. Success looks like when you're really, you know, when you're earning the most money you can earn and you're, you know, flying high at the top of your career when actually I branched off from anything kind of standard and Mm. was a yoga teacher and then ran my own retreats and now I'm doing the podcast my sister has very much gone a um the way my mum puts it you know a normal direction the direction you should go in inverted commas my sister's a lawyer in London and you know she so I think I threw my mum a bit of a curveball but you could very much see in her eyes what she'd brought up as a parent what Mm. success looked like Mm. and I I think learning from my mum and being parented by my mum is that I don't I don't ever want Amandine to feel like I have a particular you know idea of success and how she should be successful Mm. um so I think that's it is such an interesting topic um especially around what the world will look like and that's so it's it's a hot topic right now isn't it of course it is um because I just have absolutely no idea in fact I was singing (laughs) last night you know the song by McFly in the year 2000 Mm. (laughs) and just how you know maybe in 2100 will we be you know underwater (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so let's get on to talking about play because Mm. you guys listeners sent in so many questions around play and I really want to do get these get these covered off with Emma um today to be helpful for you um and let's I think it might be helpful to start with my own experience with Amandine because there are a lot of questions around that um so Amandine is uh, 15 months and it's always a question that I'm asking myself is you know should she be playing more by herself is she bored mm. how should I be playing with her should I always be playing with her or should I be encouraging independent play and imaginative play and that's something Hendrik and I have actually noticed in just the last month is she's really starting to um, play imaginatively by herself um, she's starting to kind of you know pretend eat herself she's 
bringing all of her toys into a little circle, all her teddy bears, and she's kissing them together and doing that kind of imaginative mm-hmm. play, which is so cute. Um, I guess my first question for you around all of this is how the, the stage, or let's start maybe with the stages of play and mm. how these relate to children's ages, because um, obviously it changes a lot, right, over time? Yes, it does. Yeah. So in the in the sort of very early years, so the, the 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 age range that you're talking about, the kind of just coming out of the baby stage into those very um kind of um toddler toddler stages, play is very instinctive here for children. So it is one of the the things that as humans we just we just do. Um, no one teaches you how to play. It's quite incredible. Um, and for those very young children, really what they're doing is starting to act out um, and reflect all of the things that they're learning about the world around them. So as you described with the teddy bears there, they're, they're acting out, you know, nurturing relationships, personal relationships and feelings of comfort um, and love that they will have experienced Um from you guys, from from their caregivers, um, and this is a lot of what play is for very young children. And it can really help them to to make sense of these things that they're learning um, and these new emotions that they're constantly experiencing that they haven't um, any experience of before. So it's really important that they have that freedom to kind of let that come out um, mm. in what in whatever way um, they do that. Um, and it is something that can happen quite instinctively. I think um, what's what's what can encroach on it a little bit is, um, you know, you, you mentioned the word boredom. Um, mm. And we're very obsessed as kind of modern culture um, with not being bored. So uh, children today have have less, much less experience of boredom than previous generations of children. So when you get on to the next phase, so kind of moving more into what I call the sort of golden age of play, which is like th- sort of three to six, six, seven, um, where children here are much more able to obviously use their bodies they've got more coordination they can probably like ride things and and kind of scoot and things like that um they can um their imagination can go beyond just reality um, and can kind of go more into sort of fantasy realm so here is where um we become more and more obsessed with making sure that they're entertained all the time and a lot of parents actually fear their child being bored and you look around the messages that the world is giving you and and lots of you know places to eat will be saying you know we've got this so your kids don't get bored or come on this holiday Mm -hmm. no bored kids here or summer holidays are coming up avoid the boredom And, and the world is kind of telling us that boredom is a bad thing Um, and as an entertainment greedy um culture which we are because we're so used to having things on demand we Mm -hmm. plug we plug gaps all the time you know if there's a bit of downtime you know we're giving them a tablet or you know we're taking them to more extracurricular classes etc and the the flip side of this is that children um are getting less exposure to how to get out of boredom themselves Mm -hmm. and that's a shame because in that magical stage of play this this can be an amazing time for learning how you can make yourself happy so you mentioned independent play and that's really what independent play can teach you so if you can self-entertain essentially what you're learning there is you 
progress and you age up is I I can make myself happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know how to, to make myself happy. And that's a fundamental thing to be able to, to take forward as you move into more complex stages um, of development. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the thing I guess I, I feel like when she's, <laughs> she does when she's bored, she's, she's a massive thumb sucker. <laughs> yeah. So she'll just sit and suck her thumb. Yeah. And sometimes I think, well, okay, maybe she's tired or maybe she's just, she doesn't know where to, to go next. Or But actually, if you watch her really carefully, she'll maybe sit for a couple of minutes, suck her thumb, just take it all in, look around the room, and then she'll crawl off she's not walking yet she'll crawl off to her play corner and she'll like she did this morning she went and played with a couple of her toys and then she'll sit suck her thumb again look around the room see where daddy is see where I am and then maybe come to one of us so I think she she's definitely a um I don't know the word to describe it actually but she she likes to take her time to mm. just let everything mm. sink in mm. and then yeah go from um. thing to thing yeah, and I mean, when you're 15 months old, there's a lot. There's a lot to take in. Mm, yeah, <laughs> um, there there really is. I think sometimes we underestimate that. Absolutely. Um, I think you know, with with the sort of independent play versus social play, I'm I'm very much in the kind of the balance bit of everything camp. Um, you know, play when she's in those moments, perhaps where she's feeling like she needs to. Um, connect and feel loved and nurtured play is um the language of the child so engaging in in play with her um key people in her life is a really important way of communicating with them when you enter into a play state with a child it sends a message to them that you know you are entering into their world um nothing else matters you know everything else is away you are there for them you don't have to be like some kind of amazing kids preschool tv presenter and a lot a lot of parents <laughs> do find it really hard and a bit boring it can be boring um to, to play but this is a real message to your child that you know i i am interested in your world i'm entering into your world and this is kind of me and you communicating on on the same level and that's that's kind of what young children get from um playing with with their caregivers Mm, absolutely so past the stage of say 15 months and then we start going into you know even even older toddlers yeah how do these stages of play or how does play develop as you get older and older and what what should we be doing as parents to encourage different um, areas of play Mm. Yeah, so with the younger ones, you, you get a lot of a lot of role play um, because, as I said, they're kind of acting out things that are going on mm. um, in their lives, um, and a lot of imagination play as they start to learn how to invent characters or kind of act out other worlds, that sort of thing. As they as they get older, they may start to get even more older. They may get more like technical skills, so their interest in um, creative play um, and kind of coming up with ideas um, and following those ideas through uh, may come in more Um, and then also bringing in elements of more like reality play um, as they get up to the sort of seven eight nine um, age group where they want to perhaps play things that they've seen um, on YouTube or on on the TV or um, experiment with their hair and makeup and things like that bringing in those more kind of um, real world um, moments into their play yeah absolutely um so as far as 
toys just bringing it right back so we had a question um from a parent with a seven-month-old saying you know just how many toys do we need as parents um for mm-hmm. our little ones and how how important does a does a is a toy's role essentially mm. yeah i don't i don't have an exact number to put on that um i think we do live in a world of abundance um and we live in a world where everything is mainstream accessible um so you can buy um you know a lot of you can go to the you know a lot of pound shops and places like that and continually keep bringing in um more and more and more things um i i don't think that that is necessarily a good cycle to get into i think having a good play set up um with um what i call play prompts or play stimulus for for very young children um is kind of what you want and then you can rotate it um, and move move things around um I think uh, the role of toys is important. Um, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of toys. I'm a collector <laughs> myself. Um, but um, you know, it, it, it's more what it's more what they do with it, really, um, and and kind of that they have the ability to um, make something out of nothing and to use different props in in different ways perhaps not Mm. as they're intended it's very much about things being um stimulus sparks to the to the imagination um i don't think um you know you need to constantly get uh you know the latest and greatest thing and quite often you know parents will comment that you know kids have the most fun with making something out of nothing like Mm. boxes and bits of um recycled materials or that they play with um their toys in a completely uh, non-intended way so they'll often cross characters into different universes um etc etc it's it's all it's all about whatever stimulates and sparks their imagination Mm -hmm. so when do passions start coming into all of this because i read um uh, or it might it may have been one of your uh, saved highlights on your instagram yeah. about encouraging passions um and and really letting them live out these passions and mm-hmm. when when should we start trying to pick up on things that we think they're finding passionate and then developing that yeah i'm i'm very uh, into this topic it's probably how i would describe um the way that I parent is to parent um, t- to passions and see my role as nurturing passions and helping them to recognize the value in that. And that's because um, passionate people uh, generally end up uh, doing something that they enjoy um, are often more successful um, and are interesting. Like you're, you're magnetized to passionate people. Like you want to listen to them. You want to hear from them and they've got something about them so I think it's an amazing quality to instill in children and in terms of when it starts I mean it can start um in those kind of early years so for example if they take an interest in space or dinosaurs or whatever it might be might not necessarily be a passion yet but it's 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 a peak of curiosity that you can um pursue and and you can kind of go with them on that journey now because that is the beauty of the modern world if they're interested in space you can sit on youtube and watch you know a a rocket take off and go into space with the astronaut um Mm. it's, it's incredible 
Um, you know, if you're into dinosaurs, you know, there's amazing museums and places that you can take them or, you know, you can watch things together um, on the internet. Um, <clears throat> So that's kind of where it starts, pursuing lines of curiosity, I would say, in the kind of, you know, under under sixes. I think that's their more lines of curiosity. As they get older um, and children become more social and children become more um, able to um, kind of do things cognitively and physically, uh, then they might start getting more idea um, of what their passions can be. And this is typically, you know, any time from when they go to school and up. And there is a sort of peak time in middle childhood, which is six to 12 years old, when they're quite open to trying things but they haven't quite yet got the cynicism after teen years um to to kind of be like I only want to do things that I'm good at or you know it's really embarrassing for me to do this if I'm not you know going to win or whatever it might be like there's a window um that's open where they can be more up for just trying things out and in that window it's a little bit like when they're babies and they're open to trying different foods and you're trying to like get all the different tastes in before they've become really fussy there's a window that opens somewhere in middle childhood between six and 12 years old it might be different depending on you know the maturity or the context of how the child's been raised but somewhere in there that they're, they're open to stuff and that's where they might you know suddenly see something or read something or their friend or something or wherever it might come from and um, could just come from messing around in the garden with a particular ball or tool or thing um, and they might spark an idea that they want to try something um, and that's again you want to sort of pursue that and try and see um where that might um take them um, and kind of follow that follow that up and try and expose them to to getting more experience of doing that particular thing mm. and all of these things that they're learning are helping them you know in so far into the future aren't they Completely, yeah. And even if they don't uh, stick with something, that is an, a valid experience mm. in itself. I tried something, I had a go, it didn't interest me. And then you try and have those conversations, you know, what, what, you know, why didn't you want to go back to that thing? Or, you know, what made you lose your interest in that? Or, oh, you know, I'm more into this now, or I'm just I'm not really feeling that. Or, you know, you try and dig into it more. And it's all, it's all just a ladder, you know, you're all kind of progressing um, up this ladder towards, towards that adolescent stage where things do become um, more complicated. Um, and and you know, all I'm trying to do is try and just help them before they enter that stage to become as comfortable and assured in themselves as possible before they enter into that landscape of you know getting onto social media yeah. and more complex relationships like if they can form a passion before they get there um I think that's an amazing achievement because if they can just have a, a one thing to carry them through um those te teen years I think that can be a real um kind of saving grace to sort of fall back on to constantly be able to revisit and disappear into this passion um, as they move through the adolescent years absolutely so this kind of leads us nicely into what we were just chatting about briefly before i pressed record um about creative play and mm. there's a point where we um lose the well i mean you can totally explain it better but there's a there's a point where we get to you were mentioning in your blog where we feel like we know everything no one can tell us anything new and that's actually signifying a, a point in our lives where we're starting to lose creativity and I was mentioning to you about 
um, I really felt that. And also I went to a school where it, it, it really felt like, you know, there was a, a right and a wrong answer to everything. There, mm-hmm. there was only one way of looking at certain things. And my creativity was kind of bashed out of me rather than um, being, you know, empowered to gain creativity as I grew into my teenage years. Mm. Um, could you talk a little bit about about that and how we as parents can can get our creativity back? And I'm not yeah. necessarily talking about, you know, colouring in and DIY. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about creative thinking and really encouraging that in our children as well. Mm. Yeah, um, lots of people... Um, children but mostly adults feel like uh, they're not creative um, and they're very forward in saying that oh I'm just you know I'm not a creative person that's mm. just I, I'm just not at all like I'd like to be but I'm not um, and it's actually not true everyone is creative um, it's more the confidence that you have to unleash that and the opportunities that you you open up to allow yourself to enter into creative thinking the problem is is that we um, have an association that creativity equals you're good at art mm. um, you're really extrovert uh, you probably dress a bit quirky um and you know you've got kind of um you know good taste in like design and color and things like that like that we have this sort of these codes of creativity that if we don't associate those with ourselves we assume that we're not a, not a creative person um, and this partly comes from the education system um, most schools um are not great for breeding creativity because the national curriculum that we have in this school um kind of funnels everyone to um think the same really mm. so we're, we're memorizing that's what we're teaching our children we're memorizing we're perfecting you know certain ways of um doing problems um, and writing and things like that and we're not spending as much time on unleashing um, creativity and kind of free thinking um, creativity from my point of view really is about um, problem solving um, having ideas and pursuing those ideas in a very open-minded way so it's the opposite to um, you know memorizing and black and white answers it's being it's being really curious and it's being kind of like you know what if could we do this how about this that's really interesting let's follow that that's a kind of a more of a creative mindset um and and there is less opportunity to do that um in the education system um and I think it does it does start in those adolescence teen years where you do get that sense. I mean, I'm sure everyone can identify with that feeling when you're a teenager where you're just like, I know everything. <laughs> no one can tell me anything else. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done. Like, I don't want to listen to my parents. I don't want to listen to my teacher. Like, I formed my idea um, of the world um, and and that's it. <laughs> and that's the sort of first point in the decline of the uh, creative uh, journey. Some people will, will kind of go through it. Those people particularly who tick the codes of creativity that I mentioned will mm-hmm. go on and perhaps they'll enter into to creative jobs and industries which will um kind of maintain their creativity or they'll pursue creative passions and and hobbies where they'll get to unleash it but a lot of people never go back they never go back to that state of creative curiosity that can be quite instinctive in children particularly outside of school um and i think 
it's it's a shame because a lot of parents I think now really do see the value in creativity we recognize it as a skill set that's going to be essential for the future workforce because we're going to have a lot more AI a lot more robots and we're going to need really sort of humanistic skills that can't be replicated by machines and creative Mm -hmm. thinking um, from humans is going to be one of those things and I think a lot of parents get very intimidated because they feel like they are not creative therefore they don't know how to role model that to their children Um, and I think one of the ways that you can kind of try and reconnect with it is firstly just challenge your perceptions on what creativity is I think it's very intimidating for a lot of people that feel like they really aren't creative and think about you know what how does your mind work and how do you think and I'm sure that you will be able to find a link there to creativity if you know if you're like a puzzle person or a strategy person there's creative elements in those as well and it really is just a sort of mindset and way of thinking Um, and then to try and connect with your inner child so to try and remember you know what were the things the imaginative things the ways that you saw the world as a child can you kind of try and reawaken some of those feelings so to be less shut down to be open to be curious to be really kind of um allow yourself to to kind of go off in different directions this isn't really a mindset that a lot of adults um <laughs> spend a lot of time in because you know we have to be responsible we're meant to be sensible we're supposed to have these roles we're mothers we're supposed to do this we're supposed to do that these are the things that we're meant to spend our time doing not entering into these you know curly whirly creative mindsets but i think if you really allowed yourself to um you would probably get more out of it and so would your children as well so i think there's a a permission thing um, that's happening a connection to the inner child that can be helpful and a challenge on what creativity actually is and to just stop saying i'm not a creative person just stop saying it and just kind of allow yourself to, to enter into some of those thought patterns more yes absolutely my husband's i think just just done it after reading your blog actually he um he used to be way way back a dj and okay. he I mean, he's he's now an airline pilot so it doesn't really relate although there's lots of buttons to press <laughs> but um he's a dj and he actually just bought himself a new dj kit to get back into that passion and um just yeah do that for a while so i i really admire him for doing that actually and i'm now trying to think about how I can too um yeah fantastic and I think the, the other thing is with becoming an adult is when we have interests like that as young people um it, unless we become the best at them or unless we can monetize them we when we become more grown up and we have more responsibilities we start to question what's the point in doing that mm-hmm. and you should never do that because there is a point in doing things for the sake of doing them mm-hmm. um like the one expression that I hate is when people say oh it's just creativity for creativity's sake good yeah. <laughs> like to enter into the process just for the process it's not all about the output it's all about being in the flow and being being in the moment so it doesn't matter if you're not going to be the best um you know dj in the land and you know turn that into a kind of side hustle or whatever like doing things for the sake of doing them just for fun just for enjoyment just to be in creative flow is akin to you know like you do like doing yoga or doing mindfulness or or one of those things like you will get the same endorphins um, and feelings from them that are going to impact on your kind of mental health and well-being yeah 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it was interesting when I was reading one of your blogs about um, those things are going to really become, for children especially, like mindfulness and yoga are, are going to become less of, you know, that's just for, you know, the hippies or, mm. you know, for mm. maybe my mum's generation would see it and actually a complete necessity as children grow up and I think that was what you're relating to phones and screen time and tech and unplugging mm. and the importance of that so perhaps let's come on to that for a moment because mm. um, it's an incredibly popular question mm. how to deal with this level of um plugged inness I guess yeah. that we have to deal with with bringing up our children yeah so I think I think we're at the start of a new chapter in that so we have a generation of young people they're called um generation z who are kind of aged around 10 to 21 years old so these are the kids who have been um the first to have come of age with social media um with personal smartphones um and with kind of um 24 7 connectivity and i think we can see quite clearly that we have um some issues here with mm-hmm. how how that's gone for them and um, they've been the guinea pigs if you like their parents have also been the guinea pigs they had no um you know no social norms nothing to compare to they didn't have any of this stuff when they were growing up um, and we've all kind of like binged and feasted on um, digital media for some time now because it's just come thick and fast, faster than we've been able to kind of step back and say, oh, I don't know if I want this in my life. I don't know if I want this level. Like, you know, and we've been doing this for some time now. And I think I think newer parents, and we study a lot with the, the new generation of kids who are called Gen Alpha, so they're not to about eight years old. And uh, many of them are being parented by um, millennials. Um, and I think they're looking at this generation that's come of age um, with these things and they're thinking, uh, mm, we, I think we might need to make a few changes here. Um, and I think what, that's the stage that we're at now. Um, I think, you know, that, that it's going to take some time um, for big shifts to come. Um, and I think we're, we're still in a phase of not really being sure what's right, what's wrong, what's normal. Um, but I think we're at the start of new conversations about um, digital childhood um, and how we parent that. One of the things that I think is going to change is the shift away from screen time to mm-hmm. quality of content. So up until now, everyone has kind of been obsessed with time, number of minutes. So, you know, how long should I let my kid be on this device? Can someone just give me that answer? Can yeah. someone just like tell me a bit like, you know, the five a day or whatever, like, can someone just tell me that? And it's really difficult because, um, no one really is like there's various bits and pieces of research out there, but there's nothing kind of conclusive enough to say, you know, this is the exact perfect amount um, of screen time and everyone's reality is completely different some children are incredibly able to flip between real world digital world and manage it all very seamlessly other children can spend time on certain pieces of content and get very angry um, and very kind of have a negative reaction and this is this is the sort of the the problem that we have is there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution Um, but I do think the conversation is shifting from time to actual 
quality of content. So what what is this piece of content or this particular game um, that um, you know my child is is watching or playing, and is are they getting anything beneficial from that? And I'm not just talking like educational, like academic benefits here. You know, are the characters, their narratives, are they kind of like is it helping with their sort of emotional development and their emotional intelligence? It, you know, is it stimulating their creativity? Um, is it teaching them stuff about the world that I would like them to learn? Or or is it just surface level hypnotic stuff that is actually making them really moody and behave really badly? I think this is this is where the conversation is is moving to. It's been focused on time for a very long time. And I think I think we're moving on from that a bit. Mm, so it's really the content and what they're they're actually looking at that's that's important yeah because there's a big all screen time is not equal there's a really big difference in the experience a child would have let's say spending an hour building a world on minecraft and you know diving into that and designing their own building and 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 thinking and 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 Mm. being really creative versus watching an hour of unboxing videos on youtube those Mm. two things those two things are non comparable they're completely different you know one is play um, one is very passive entertainment it's not to say that there's not a role for for both of them but with the conversation of screen time essentially what we're doing is putting those two things side by side because we're only looking for the for, for number of minutes mm. yeah absolutely interestingly the bbc article on box unboxing this morning <laughs> i was in it i was yeah in it. <laughs> i know i read i read what's your take on that um yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. It's, it's a big genre. It's not really slowing down from what we can see at the moment. Children are still very engaged in it. Um, for, from a personal parenting point of view, it's not um, it's not something that w- is allowed in, in our home, um, purely because I think when um, Phoenix started watching those when he was very little, um, I just did not think it was um, adding anything useful to his um, kind of content diet. Um, and, and I found it very difficult to remove that from him if he had been viewing um, that type of content because it is quite it's quite hypnotic and also because of the way that YouTube works, it will send you um, down the kind of path of watching very, very similar things mm-hmm. um, rather than that's very different to watching a TV show which starts and, and ends. Mm-hmm. And for, for certainly for very young children, um, you know, for us, we just found that, you know, not particularly helpful. So uh, we don't have those in the home anymore. Um, <clears throat> I I also think one of the issues that is going to come into the spotlight more next year is the uh, the grey area of what is content and what is an advert um, very young yes. children cannot tell when a video like that um is is an advertisement and actually even if they say those words um doesn't really mean that much to them the concept of of advertising um yes. kind of ha- comes a bit later when they can actually understand what that is um and i think that's that's something that's going to come much more into discussion um next year because they they you know they trust and they look up to these children um and they don't necessarily know the mechanics around you know why these videos are being created etc etc and, th- and i think that's something that needs more um exploration mm, absolutely and are brands you know obviously you work with these huge yeah. brands and are they really open to 
talking and being leaders in in creating change essentially around around all of this I think so yeah I mean I think brands um, are making more of their own content um, which is good because you know they will do that in a way that's um, you know meets standards um, etc etc I think it's really difficult for them because um, you know from purely from a business point of view um, with 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 that hat on um, you know there's not as much kids watching kids TV so you know that's where they used to do their main advertising um, you know YouTube kids aren't really meant to be on there um, and there's kind mm-hmm. of issues that you know that keep bubbling up with data collection and etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know they have to be quite strict on um kind of how how they do that sometimes their products end up in stuff without them you know having any say um in that just to kind of the way that the world works and that can be you know both beneficial to them sometimes not so depending on how that particular influencer is using it so i think i think they are they are moving and i do empathize with them because ultimately they have to reach their audience um in a meaningful way um and, and i think i think we will will see we'll see more creative solutions coming i think over the next five years but i think you know we've been in a phase of you know just just trying to trying to figure out how to move with this pace of change of where where kids are, are going and what they're engaging with mm, absolutely so one final question that i have for you um which is from a listener who has a little girl she says that she'd never imagined her little one playing with a doll, but read an article recently about why it's so important. What are your thoughts on playing with dolls, specifically dolls? Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've done some content on this before. And um, it's funny because a lot of us mothers are, you know, very much in this kind of female empowerment movement. Um, you know, there has been a lot of activism and brilliant awareness array, um, raised around, you know, just pushing forward um, the role of, of women in culture. And that's and that's all um, awesome. And I'm very much kind of um, all over that. But I think one, one of the interesting things that sprung um, out from it is, well, I don't want to give my girls dolls. Um, I don't want to teach them that they... Um, you know, can only be a mother. Like that's not what we do do now. That's not 21st century mothering. Like we're raising badass, <laughs> independent, empowered um, girls to be leaders and to not be restricted into these roles. And dolls has kind of, um, for some people, become the the sort of the face of um, how you're making decisions about how you're going to do that. So I'm not going to put loads of dolls in front of her. Um, I I don't I don't think those two things go together um, actually at all. I think um, doll play uh, is is a, an excellent play pattern to um, teach nurture, mm-hmm. to teach empathy, um, to teach um, how to be uh, to give comfort. Uh, responsibility um, and kind of human human connection. A doll, particularly a baby doll, in those early years, um, is a brilliant toy for that. I think the problem that we've got is that that needs to not be a girl toy. That needs to just be, you know, a play pattern that is accessed by by all children. And the presentation of dolls is still um, a very kind of saccharine 
pink when you go into that aisle um, and it's kind of presented in a way um, that reflects all of the things that a lot of modern mothers are really trying to move away from but the actual play pattern of nurturing um, with a doll is fantastic and you know it's going to be no good if we raise these empowered um, girl leaders if we don't still bring those softer skills to the fore because that's why we want to be there that's what we can bring um, into business and into industry and into whatever it is that we're doing um so i, I think i i think i'm 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 pro dolls <laughs> but i'm very much pro um them being uh, degendered in their uh, presentation and in their access to to both boys and girls mm. and I, i've seen recently a lot more um dolls covering a huge uh, diverse range of cultures as well coming in so that must be a step in the right direction yeah um i think you know again it's something that i've written about um it's really important to make sure that your play stimulus is really representative of different people different mm. skin skin colors different abilities um, this can be really powerful messaging in helping to kind of stamp out um unconscious bias um, which is a huge problem um that that, that we have um in culture so if you just if you make it the norm to surround your child with um you know completely diverse um play stimulus this is a really powerful um you know subliminal message that you're just sending all the time they're naturally just playing with those um in in their in their setup so you don't even need to explicitly constantly um you know talk about inclusivity obviously you want to do that when they get a bit older but they're just doing it by nature of putting all of those dolls together and, and, and doing those role play social interactions um with different different um faces and kind of uh, representatives from culture yes yes well emma thank you so much for coming on the podcast before we just wrap up is there anything else that you would like to share with parents maybe from your personal experience or from from a place of work oh, hello? that you would like to share hello oh hello I'm sorry, I lost you there. That's okay, don't worry. I was just asking if um, there was anything else you would like to share, either from your experience as a parent or from a, a place of work, um, to maybe new parents or parents out there who are just not sure if they're you know, doing all of this in the way that they should be. Uh, yeah, I think that, that there is no right or wrong way to, to do things. And I think if you can in, enter into a uh, playful way of approaching parenthood um and family life i think you you'll get more more release from that sense of you know i'm trying to do this the right way um you know am i getting this right just 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 really like tapping into that playfulness um it's a really nice mindset to be in to be curious to be open to be asking questions um and that's that's kind of what i'm trying to do with my instagram and my blog is to to look at play um as a lifestyle choice um and and i think it can, i think it can help parents um relax find more fun um in parenting and like get out of the get out of the weeds <laughs> of the kind of admin and day-to-day -day grind um that sometimes you know motherhood and fatherhood can can kind of keep us keep us in to, to be in this playful um mindset is is a happy place to be in mm. 
completely well thank you so so much emma for sharing um your knowledge and your expertise with us i really i personally really really appreciate it a lot of what you says have said has resonated with me um and i'm sure it will will have with the listeners as well so thank you you're welcome it's a pleasure I loved listening back to that podcast with Emma, recording with Emma. There's so much you can take away from that podcast, so much that I took away from that podcast. I hope it was really of value to you all. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please get in contact. Please let me know that you're listening. Pop me a little or tag me in on your Instagram stories when you're listening. I really, really do appreciate it. And you can always pop me an email at mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com or just drop me a little DM um, and share anything that you would like to share. And I will try and get back to doing some um, of those question things on Instagram. I'm just being absolutely pants at Instagram right now, so I apologise. But I will respond to your direct message if you DM me. Um, It may just take me a little bit of time. Thank you so much for listening. I will be catching up with you next week. Um, Or actually, I may have another guest on next week. Um, But whatever it may be, we will be back next week. And um, I will chat to you then. Lots and lots of love. Bye.